invite you this morning uh, to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians, just continuing our series uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Our primary focus is Christ alone completes us. Christ alone completes us, or as I've said every week, I'll say it again this week, it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus period. See, by the time we're done, you're going to finish that sentence. It's not Jesus plus, it is Jesus, period. Uh, but today we'll be in Colossians uh, chapter 1, uh, shifting gears just a little bit in the letter uh, in verse 24 this morning. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, heard of him? Raise your hand. President Eisenhower, yeah, yeah. Uh, 34th president of the United States, also the supreme commander of allied forces in Western Europe during World War II. Please tell me I have that right. Thank you. So just want to make sure my history is correct. Uh, General Eisenhower, uh, as a general, there's a great story. Uh, there's a lot of stories about General Eisenhower. Uh, this story is uh, one day a, a soldier or one of his generals, excuse me, one of the uh, generals came up to uh, General Eisenhower and he referred to this individual as just a private. Uh, just, you know, a foot soldier, just a private. Well, that infuriated General Eisenhower, who responded with, if this war is won, it will be by the privates, the lowest rank in the, you know, that, the time. It'll be won by the privates. It'll be, the war will be won by the seemingly unknown, unnamed, ordinary soldiers who are fighting on the front lines every single day. So they're not just privates. They're the heroes of World War II. In the same way, ordinary, unknown, one-talented Christians are the backbone of the Great Commission. Uh, I sat in, uh, with a group of people one time and uh, I made a, a poor choice of words when answering a question. I said, uh, I'm just a youth pastor. Uh, the pastor in the, the room got really angry and said, you're not just a youth pastor. You're a pastor to these students. It is important. Some people will say a, a church in a small town, small church in a small town, that we're just another church. Just ordinary, unknown, unfamous people. But we, I want you to hear something. You're the backbone of the Great Commission. The gospel is spread through ordinary, one talent, unknown, unnamed Christians. Now listen, we have our great evangelists. We had, we, we had people like Billy Sunday and Billy Graham. We have... Uh, people like Franklin Graham today. We have our evangelists. We have our mega congregations with dynamic elders and pastors. In fact, I'm a fanboy of J.D. Greer. I love J.D. as a pastor. Uh, I think he's an amazing sermon writer. He's a communicator. So I'm sitting at home Friday and my phone rings. It's a phone number from Wake Forest. I usually don't answer, but I did. Now, for those who are thinking it was J.D. Greer, it was not, <laughs> but it was an associate pastor from his church in Wake Forest. 
and I'm listed on a reference for a buddy of mine who's interviewing for a staff position, but I want to tell you something. That was a big deal to me because I look up to, to guys like J.D., and uh, even though there's been some failures in Matt Chandler's life, I still look up to him a little bit. They are dynamic, dynamic elders. Uh, David Jeremiah is a great pastor. Charles Stanley. They, they, we look at them as the extraordinary people who have done so much for the kingdom of God. But listen, they're just ordinary people like you and like me who did extraordinary things because they were empowered by an extraordinary God. The advancement of the gospel will be done through the normal everyday lives of normal everyday church members. Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae. In that day, Paul was a rock star. We look at Paul as a rock star. He's like the Billy Graham of his day. But Paul was not always that guy. In fact, Paul was a young Jewish leader who was killing and persecuting Christians. And his life mission was to eradicate the world with, of Christians. And then he encountered our extraordinary God, our extraordinary Savior on the road to Damascus. It changed his life. But here's what we forget about Paul. He didn't become Paul overnight. There's this wonderful story in Acts where God comes to a man named Ananias. Not Ananias and Sapphira, not that Ananias, a different Ananias. Ananias is just an ordinary guy. In fact, you don't hear about him anywhere else. And God tells Ananias, ordinary, everyday Christian, go disciple Paul. Paul didn't become Paul overnight. He was trained and discipled by a guy, thankfully he is mentioned once, but just an ordinary, faithful Christian. Paul joins a church in Antioch where an entire congregation prays with him, disciples him, teaches him, and it's that church in Antioch that sets him and Barnabas apart and sends them to do missions work. Yet Paul was not always Paul. And Paul was trained by ordinary people. We don't even know the names of the people at the church in Antioch who poured into Paul, but they are the backbone of the Great Commission. As we get to verse 24, I want you to keep in mind that Paul has just given us this beautiful, beautiful, powerful description of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ. It's Christ alone, fully God, fully man. It's Jesus, period. And then at the end of what we looked at last week, he says, I, Paul, have become a servant of the gospel. Some of your translations might say minister of the gospel, uh, it's an accurate translation. It's the word diakonos. It's the same word that you can translate deacon. It means, it literally means servant. Uh, CSB uses the word servant, so it is more applicable to everybody. It's not really referring to the pastor. It's referring to the everyday faithful servants who have been impacted by the message of Jesus. In verses 24, uh, really through uh, chapter 2, verse 5, explains what the faithful ministry of Paul looks like, and it helps us to see what faithful ministry would look like for every single person who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Serving in ministry is not optional. 
It is a commandment from Christ as we fulfill the great commission. And you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to be the most gifted communicator. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. All you have to be is faithful. So as we look at this passage, I want you to keep in mind that all of us are called to be faithful servants. So look at verse 24. Now I, Paul, I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions of his body that is the church. I have become its servant. He's become the church's servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Verse 29, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. I want us to stop there. I want us to look at three characteristics of a faithful servant. As you think about how you are going to faithfully serve using the gifts that God has given you, here are the characteristics that I want you to keep in mind. The first one is a faithful servant will rejoice in suffering. A faithful servant will rejoice in suffering. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. This is the proper attitude of a servant. It is the attitude of joy. It is the attitude of rejoicing. Keep in mind, Paul is in prison writing this letter. He is in chains. And depending on which imprisonment it is, uh, if it's the Roman imprisonment, which I think it is, he's not getting out. He is going to die. He will be executed after this imprisonment is over. And so he, and throughout his life, and you can go into uh, First and Second Corinthians and see a list of all his sufferings. He's been whipped. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been put in prison here and there. He's been kicked out of cities. He has suffered for the gospel. And he says, I rejoice in the sufferings. He's not the only one. Peter, in 1 Peter 4.13, says, uh, says, rejoice as you suffer as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with a great joy when his glory is revealed. Acts 5, then uh, talking about a group, he says, then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name of his name, the name of Jesus. They rejoice in their suffering. How? Why? Well, Paul tells us he rejoices because it is benefiting the church. It, it is good for the church. Uh, without the willingness to suffer, without his willingness to push through the challenges, 
without his willingness to go without food, to be stranded, to be beaten, to be in prison, there might not be a church in Colossae to write this letter to. In fact, missionary endeavors are mostly built on the backs of missionaries who have suffered. Jim Elliott went to this place in Ecuador and was speared to death when he got there. His wife went back and that whole village accepted Christ. Suffering spreads the gospel. More historical, in 1536, William Tyndale prays. Now, William Tyndale was, uh, translated the Bible to English, probably the first one. Uh, the government didn't like it. The church didn't like it. They strangled him. They burned him at the stake. Before he died, William Tyndale prayed, O Lord, open the king of England's eyes. In his suffering, to, all, all Tyndale wanted was the word of God to be able to be read by common people. He wanted every person to read and understand the scriptures in their own language. They burned him. They strangled him. His last prayer, open the eyes of the king of England. In 1539, King Henry VIII allowed that Bible to be in every parish church throughout England. On the back of a suffering servant, the Bible was distributed. In 1611, very familiar, in 1611, King James commissioned a committee to update previous English translations so that the people would have the Bible in their common language, a practice that has continued as language has changed. On the back of a suffering servant, the word of God has been made available, and now it is translated in hundreds of languages throughout the world. The suffering that Paul talks about, the suffering of missionaries, is building the church. The second reason he's able to suffer is he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, this one's hard. Uh, this, for 2,000 years, thousands of books have been written about what Paul means. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm standing here with a master's in divinity. I don't definitively know what he means when he says he is completing what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Here's what we know it does not mean. Now listen very carefully. It does not mean that Paul in any way, shape, or form is completing the work of Christ on the cross. In no way is Paul's suffering atoning for the sins of the world. In no way is Paul saying the work of Christ was incomplete on the cross. Now the reason I know this is he just spent the vast majority of chapter 1 telling us that Christ's work on the cross was complete. So he doesn't add to Jesus' work on the cross. There's about seven or eight different major theories as to what he means. This is the one that I think closely resembles what Paul's talking about. John Piper says it well. I'm just going to read what he writes. So let's listen. Piper writes that Paul's sufferings complete Christ's afflictions not by adding anything to their worth, but by extending them 
to the people they were meant to save. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they are deficient in worth as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. What is lacking, listen to this, what is lacking is the, what is lacking is that the infinite value of Christ's afflictions is not known and trusted in the world. I think what, the closest option that I believe Paul's talking about is that through his sufferings, people who have not heard about the suffering of Christ are hearing it. That Jesus ministered to a small region, mainly in Galilee and in Jerusalem, and that through the sufferings of Paul, he is helping complete not the work of Christ on the cross, but he is helping complete the mission that Christ set out for the church to complete. And so he rejoices. He rejoices through his suffering because through his suffering, he has seen the gospel spread. Uh, One time a missionary asked a Chinese Christian, he says, brother, why is God allowing the Chinese church to go through such persecution? The Chinese Christian sat back, he thought for a minute, then he said this, He said, why is God not allowing the American church to go through the same persecution? China and the Middle East, Christianity is growing exponentially through the suffering of those saints. It is rapidly declining in this country. Maybe there's a connection to that. Rejoice in your sufferings. Now, here's a little bit of application. I know we're not suffering like Paul. I don't think anybody here has been thrown in jail for your faith. You've probably never had boiling oil poured on you. Our sufferings can look a little bit different. They may be a little less physically painful, but when I think of the sufferings or the sacrifices for a faithful minister, I think of the stresses that come with planning a ministry event. The amount of stress and anxiety over a fall festival or a fall picnic, that's pretty stressful because you want it to be perfect. You think about the amount of time you have to sacrifice for the planning of these events, the amount of time you have to set aside to prepare a Sunday school lesson, the amount of time that you have to prepare to teach people God's word is a sacrifice in some ways is a suffering. Then we get frustrated over the lack of attendance to our ministry events. We get frustrated over the lack of volunteers needed, stressing over the fact we need more help. We need more help. Maybe we get frustrated over the lack of money to fulfill the calling. We don't have enough money to do the ministry we feel called to do. Maybe it's frustrated because we have a ministry and there's resistance to that. We face opposition. Listen, through all the anxiety, through all the frustrations, it is easy for us to become negative Nancys and to complain. Paul's in prison, and he's rejoicing. With all the sacrifices, with all the frustrations, with all the anxiety, with all the challenges of being a faithful minister, rejoice that you have the opportunity to serve the Lord. Rejoice that it is building up the church. Rejoice that you are planting seeds and may never see the trees. Rejoice is the proper attitude. 
Faithful servants will rejoice. Now quickly, the last two. A faithful servant will proclaim the gospel to everyone. Paul says God commissioned him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, The mystery that had been unknown. uh, The mystery that the Gentiles had no clue about God, no clue about Jesus. Uh, But Paul says this is not a gospel just for Jewish people. It is a gospel for the Gentiles. It is a message for everyone. The message of Jesus, a faithful servant, is going to take that message to black people, white people, Asian people, uh, Native Americans, everybody, Europeans. We will take the gospel without discriminating to every single person in the world, rich, poor, slave, master, uh, speaking a different language than us. The gospel is for everybody, Republican, Democrat, the gospel is for Everybody and we as a faithful servant should not withhold the mystery of Christ, the fact that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And God commissioned Paul, he's commissioned all of us to do that work. And and listen, as we do it, as, as the nations hear the gospel and as the nations come together to worship, we look more and more like Revelation 7, 9, where John, who has seen this, says that there's a vast multitude of every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, which no one can number, standing before the throne of God. How did they get there? Faithful servants proclaiming the gospel to everybody. That's what Jesus meant when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. We are to be faithful servants proclaiming the gospel to everybody. How we live goes a long way. But we must be prepared to tell people with words about Jesus. The last characteristic is a faithful servant will work to present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, This idea that Paul says that he has labored in verse 29, he has toiled, he has worked hard to advance the gospel. Ministry is hard work. Ministry is hard work. I was a youth pastor. I did lock-ins. You know what happens after a lock-in? I sleep. Because you work hard. You toil. It literally, what Paul is saying, I've worked so hard that I just want to crash when it's over with. Yeah, they didn't have energy drinks, which we shouldn't drink energy drinks anyway. But Paul was empowered by the Holy Spirit to work and to work and to work so hard that he felt like he had been ran over by a bus and just wanted to crash. Youth camp, I am 40 years old. I love our students, both children and youth. I, this was the most tired I have ever been after camp. Uh, I was, I mean, the children's camp, two boys. I want to tell you something. And we slept good at night. But, that, but a faithful minister has to work. And we work to present people as mature in Christ. Paul understood that when someone decides to follow Jesus, they're like little bitty babies, they can't even crawl. And he works with them, he disciples them. It says in the text that he proclaims the truth, he warns them, and he teaches them so that they will grow from not being able to crawl to crawlers to walkers. Hebrews talks about moving from milk drinkers to meat eaters. 
It is the job of the faithful to teach the younger uh, Christians how to mature and how to grow. Now, lean in really close. I've been your pastor three years today. That's, that's an amazing thing. Three years today, I've been your pastor. This starts my fourth year. My priority when I took that stage outside, that first service, is the same as it is today. One of my top priorities was to strengthen, grow, and honestly fix the youth and children's programs. One of the things that scared me and worried me the most when I got here is there were not a lot of children or youth. Today, our nursery, especially last week, I think it is today, is almost full of kids. Our Sunday school classes are growing. Our youth ministry is growing, not just numerically, but spiritually. And honestly, numerically is great, but having children who mature in their faith is the top priority. Having children who are able to graduate from our youth ministries and enter the world where it is a college or the workforce and defend their faith is a priority. And it takes everybody. It takes faithful servants who are rejoicing through the struggles, proclaiming it to everyone, and working hard. And listen, we've reached a point where we really need We talked about this with the deacons last week. We need another children's Sunday school class. We need another nursery to separate the age groups a little bit because the Lord is working, the Lord is blessing. And you know what my response to the deacons were? We've got the room. We need the servants. We need the people. And we have an army of volunteers working in those areas. And they are amazing. Sunday night, Sunday school, nursery, they are amazing people who sacrifice their time, their energy, and we're grateful for every one of them. But we need more faithful servants who are willing to invest in our children and our students, who are willing to work to proclaim the gospel, warn them to make sure they stay on the right path, and to teach them. We need faithful servants who rejoice in those struggles and those sacrifices. Listen, working with youth and children, it's not easy. And you have to be gifted. Let me just say that. We don't want to force a square peg into a round hole. If you're not gifted, then there's other areas for you to minister. But I know there's plenty of people in this church gifted in ministry to young people. But again, you've got to be gifted. You've got to be willing. You've got to be a faithful servant to work. R.C. Sproul said this. The ministry of the gospel is a glorious thing. Serving for the sake of the gospel is a glorious thing. But we do not have to be an apostle. We do not have to be a reformer. We do not have to be a preacher to do it. Then R.C. Sproul tells this story. When I read this this week, I mean, this will hit you. This hits you hard. R.C. Sproul says, on one occasion... There was an African-American Christian, an African who became a Christian. Being filled with gratitude, she decided to do something for Christ. She decided to be a faithful servant. This lady was blind, uneducated, and 70 years of age. She came to her missionary. 
She brought her French Bible and asked the missionary to underline John 3.16 in red ink. Mystified, the missionary watched as she took that Bible, set in front of a boys' school, an all-boys' school, afternoon after afternoon after afternoon. When school was dismissed, blind, uneducated, 70-year-old lady would call a boy or two over to her, and she would ask them, are you French, or can you speak French, or read French? When the boys proudly responded that they did, she said, read this passage that's underlined. And when those boys had read John 3.16, blind, uneducated, 70-year-old woman said, what does it mean? And then she would tell them about the gospel. Now, there is not a number associated with how many students' lives were changed, but they do know 24 of those young men are pastors today due to her work. Blind, uneducated, 70 years old, faithfully served and invested her time, her resources. And out of all the boys that, that, that the lives were changed, 24 of them are pastors who are faithfully serving the Lord. The gospel is advanced through ordinary people who can do extraordinary things if they just decide to be faithful. Will you be faithful? Will you serve? Youth and children's great. There are other ministries. Will you faithfully serve to advance the gospel and build up the church? Let's pray together. Father, we, we are thankful for Paul. He was a great servant. But Father, everybody in this room can be great servants. Our names may never be written in books. We may never write books. Nobody outside of this church or town may know who we are. But Father, we can do extraordinary things because we worship an extraordinary God. We worship a God who will empower us to use our gifts that he has given us. We just have to be available. Father, help me to faithfully serve. I pray that others would faithfully serve that you would help them to see and understand their gifts and lead them to use them for the advancement of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.